0: Does anybody know what this is? It could be a stick. It's actually more than a stick. It's It's actually not a walking stick. This is a remote control. (laughs) This isn't the actual first remote control invented by my uncle. Um, I don't have that. He made bamboo. We tried to get some bamboo, but the bamboo stick was uh, a lot larger. Than um, uh, would have functioned on his TV, but my uncle in- invented something like this. He he had a long piece of bamboo similar to this stick, and he had a notch cut in the end of it. And now, now this was back before TVs were flat screens. This is back when TVs had something on the front called knobs and buttons. And in order to change the channel, you had there was a little tab on the front of the knob and you had to go up with your fingers and grab hold you had to touch your tv and you had to turn the knob in order to change the channel or turn up the volume well my uncle decided uh he was going to invent something and so he cut a notch in the inch end of uh, a piece of bamboo long enough for him to be able to sit in his recliner in his living room and be able to reach out with his remote control grab a hold of the knob in that notch and be able to turn it from his seat to change the channels and raise and lower the volume or use it as a push button to turn off the TV and turn on the TV. Now, I hope none of you are thinking, why in the world are you telling us this? Such antiquated stuff. Nobody cares about this kind of remote control anymore. Don't you realize things have progressed a lot since then? You don't need... Something was invented. Hello? At one point, there was a cord that came out and attached to a, 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 a controller. You could change it. And then they got rid of the cord and you, just, you could push a button and the TV would change. Volume would go up and down. Now, don't you know? You can just speak. You can say, go to channel 32. Or, if, depending on what you have, you can say, Alexa, turn on... Princess Bride, and it will come on your TV. Stuff is advanced so much. Why are you telling us about this? You're wasting our time telling us such kinds of stories. I hope nobody's responding like that. Because there's something that we can learn by this story I've told you about my, my uncle. One, we can, we can kind of appreciate how far technology has, has come. How much things have changed. We could say how much better they've they've gotten, how easier they are in light of how things have transitioned. You don't have to give your wrist a workout any anymore. But another thing is, is you can actually learn something about my uncle through me telling you this story. His creativity, his in, ingenious way that he he thinks, how and when he likes to work, and exert effort and when are certain times of the day that he prefers not to exert any effort whatsoever. You learn something about his character, his motives, and why he does what he did in the world when he was here. Now, Leviticus, I think we can approach in a a similar way. Sometimes we may approach the book of Leviticus as we're reading through it and think, man, why are we? Why do I need to read this stuff anymore? We don't do it. We don't sacrifice animals. We don't go through these crazy rituals. Things have changed. Jesus has appeared. All of these things have been done away with. Why bother looking back and studying this stuff? Don't you realize something new has come? Well, if we do that, we're going to miss out on a lot. Because just like what we can learn from the stories of my uncle's remote control is that we can learn a lot about our God, His character, His motives, His heart, seeing what it is that He has been doing and done, how much things have changed and how significant His work has been to bring us from what was going on in Leviticus and what we are experiencing now, but also seeing what hasn't changed. Our God, the God of his, his character and his heart, who's given us Leviticus, who's given us the things in Leviticus, the rituals, the sacrifices, the offerings. They tell us a lot about his values and his heart and his intentions for us. And so that's why we are studying and looking at it uh, as tedious as it may uh, appear sometimes. Um, So this morning, we're going to continue to look at uh, Leviticus. We're going to be in chapter 8 this morning as we move our way through, uh, remembering that uh, man was created for fellowship and relationship with God, to dwell in the presence of God, but our sin has messed that up. And so now, in light of our sin, we, we cannot approach God. So what do we do when Israel hears the message, I'm redeeming you that I will, so that I can live with you and you can live with me? Uh-oh. What's going to happen? God gives us Leviticus to provide the way in which when you hear God's moving into the neighborhood and your response is, uh-oh, what is going to happen to me? What's going to happen to us? Leviticus is God's gracious answer to provide how this whole relational dynamic is going to work. So, let's look, uh, beginning in verse 1 of, uh, of chapter 8. Uh, remember, up to this point, we've been looking at the, the various offerings, uh, the main five types of offering. Uh, last week, we looked some at the, the instructions for the priests and how they were to carry out the offerings. This morning, we're looking at what would be the, the ordination service the commissioning or establishing these priests who are going to do this work. So let's read, follow along with me as I read from the Word of God for us this morning. Leviticus chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread. And assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as Yahweh commanded him. And the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that Yahweh has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him. And tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him. Binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breast piece on him. And the breast piece he put the urim and the thumim. And he set the turban on his head. And on the turban in front he set the golden plate. The holy crown as Yahweh commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil. And anointed the tabernacle and all that is in it. And consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils in the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waists and bound caps on them. As Yahweh commanded Moses. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering and he killed it. And Moses took the blood and with his finger put it on the horns of the altar around it and purified the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And he took all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull and its skin and its flesh and its dung he burned up with fire outside the camp, as Yahweh commanded Moses. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. He cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head and the pieces and the fat. He washed the entrails and the legs with water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering for Yahweh as Yahweh commanded Moses. Then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram and he killed it. And Moses took some of the blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he presented Aaron's sons and Moses Uh, put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears and the thumbs of their right hands and the big toes of their right feet. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and their fat that was under the, the right thigh and out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before Yahweh, he took one unleavened loaf and one loaf of bread with oil and one wafer and placed them on the pieces of fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons and waved them as a wave offering before Yahweh. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. This was an ordination offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to Yahweh. And Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before Yahweh. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination as Yahweh commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar uh, And sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments, and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it. And the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And what remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn up with fire, and you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days." until the days of your ordination are are completed, for it will take seven days to ordain you. As has been done today, Yahweh has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what Yahweh has charged so that you do not die, for for so I have been commanded. And Aaron and his sons did all the things that Yahweh commanded by Moses. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your uh, your mercy and your grace that you would give us uh, uh, the Scriptures. We pray that you would help us to see more of your character uh, and our need for you uh, through the book of Leviticus. Uh, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, I have uh, several, a lot of object things Today to help us understand this a bit more, but does anybody have one of these at your house? What is it? Oven mitt, right? Why do you need an oven mitt? So you, so you don't burn yourself. The oven mitt goes between you and the hot pan in the oven because humans weren't designed to come in contact with hot metal, or you will get hurt, right? Oven mitt comes in between you and the hot pan. What about this? Spatula. Spatula. Anybody flip burgers on your uh, grill by hand? Your steak? Uh, If you want your hand to last long, you probably won't. Again, spatula comes between you and the hot meat, the fire on the grill to prevent you from getting hurt or wounded as you encounter it. This. You might not be able to read it. Sunscreen. What do you need sunscreen for? So you don't get burned burned by the sun. You put sunscreen on your skin. Sunscreen comes between you and the sun, helping to protect you from being harmed by the sun. This. Winter coat, right? Why do you need such a thing? Stay warm. The coat Comes between you and the cold, frigid Elizabeth City Januarys. Might not need this as much as other places, but still, there's there's something about us as humans that we need things to come in between us and other stuff to protect us. There's certain things that uh, ways that that something that's true about our humanity, that we will get hurt if we encounter certain things. Harm will come to us. There's certain things that we can't encounter or come in contact with without something in between us and that thing or that object. Um, uh, this is not just true of us physically, but it's true of us Spiritually. We've seen this in Leviticus. We need something or someone to go between, to come in between us and God. Um, Usually when this is happening in interpersonal relationships, you call it a mediator. I don't know that you would call your oven mitt a mediator, but you kind of you get the idea of coming in between. This is something that's significant and important in this passage that, that God is wanting to communicate to His people. To Israel then and us now is that in humans need a mediator. We need someone to come in between us and God. To go between us and God. To bring us into His presence. Without this mediator, we cannot approach God. If we do harm could result. We saw this in Exodus, and over uh, Advent. You could not even approach the the mountain but God has said I'm going to come and live with you so that you can dwell with me. The way this is going to happen is through the sacrificial system but you're going to need a mediator. How does this show up in this passage? Notice in verse 1 through 5. Yahweh tells Moses to bring, bring some stuff. He describes all this stuff that's to be, to be brought. These garments and this anointing oil and these, these, this bull for the sin offering and these rams. He tells them to bring some stuff. And then, then he, he commands that all of the people assemble. All of Israel must come to see what is about to happen the entire congregation and assembly of Israel must gather around the tabernacle to see what's going on. Why? It's important for all of you to see this because this is something you all need to understand because this is something all of you need. What is that? Well, it says that also Aaron and his sons are brought forth. It's going to involve Aaron and his sons as they are being ordained to become priests, the mediators, the go-betweens between God and his people. Notice that this isn't something that that Moses came up with. This isn't something that um, uh, the people thought this is a good idea. I don't want to go uh, up and touch God, so let's uh, vote and send Aaron up there. No, notice what it says in verse five. And Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that Yahweh commanded to be done. So all of what is getting ready to happen has been commanded by Yahweh. It's his idea. It's what he said must take place. You need a mediator. How do we know that mediation is what's going to happen? This go between is what the role of the priest is to, to do. Um, uh, notice how uh, these uh, part of what Moses says is to be brought are these garments. And he describes he describes them here in verses five through uh, or verses six through nine. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed them with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him binding it to him with a band, and he placed the breastpiece on him. And in the breastpiece, he put the Urim and the Thummim, and he set the turban on his head, and on the turban in front, he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as Yahweh uh, commanded Moses. So, uh, this doesn't go in as much detail as it as, uh, happened later on, or earlier in, uh, in Exodus 28. God appeared to Moses on the mountain and gave him a lot of these instructions. What we're seeing now is Moses is, is actually implementing and carrying out the instructions. So the details of what the priest was wearing was given earlier. Here's a picture, kind of, of what... Uh, it comes off the screen a little bit. But our best understanding of what this would have, would have looked like. So it would have... Been wearing this stuff, uh, uh, but a couple of things I want to draw our attention to. Um, um, the, this little smock looking thing with the, the stripes on it was an a ephod. Um, uh, there's a hole in the top, it was uh, sewn together in two pieces and, and hung, hung over. Well, in this ephod, up on the, I don't know if you can see on the, the, the shoulders, there were two stones. Uh, two onyx stones that was on the shoulder of the, of the high priest, and on these stones, on, on one shoulder was written half of the tribes of Israel, their names were engraved uh, and, and it was filled in with gold. The other tribes were, were on the other shoulder on that stone, engraved in there and filled with gold. The names of the tribes of Israel were on both shoulders or on each shoulder of the, the priest. On, you see this uh, breast piece that's on the front. It mentions it here in, the, in, in, our, in our passage. This breast piece also had stones. There were 12 stones. These were precious jewels. And on each of the stones, again, was engraved the name of one tribe. One stone for each tribe filled with gold. These were precious jewels that were on the, the front of the, the, the priest. Um, uh, so, so think, think about this in your head. God is saying, these are the garments that the priest is to, uh, to wear. Oh, do I need a a pointer? Oh, this could come in handy. This is the breast piece with the stones on it. These are the the two on the shoulders with, uh, the the tribes on it. So think about this. The priest is the one who is going to go into the presence of, of God. He's not going in the presence just for himself. He's bringing the people into the presence of God. They're, the names of all the tribes are on collectively on the shoulders, individual tribes on the, on the, the breast piece. This isn't, there's significance to this. God is wanting to communicate and show even through what the priest is wearing, his purpose and his role, because you as an individual can't come directly into the presence of God. The high priest that God appoints, that he commands, will be the one that goes between you and God. He is going to be the one who enters in to the presence of God. We'll find out later. He, he only did this once, uh, once a year into the very holy of holies. But his role is the go between the one who brings and represents the people as he comes into the presence of God through what seems like some random uh, um, wardrobe details actually has deep, significant spiritual and theological implications. We need a mediator, God is saying on your own, in your own humanity, because of your sin and your separation, you cannot come into my presence without a mediator. Leviticus chapter 8 is wanting to emphasize this. This is why God is commanding this. This is why he's setting it up and establishing it. The priest, and in particular the high priest, will be the mediator, the go-between for all of the people. Well, hold on a minute. Aaron is to be this high priest? Well, we have a, we have a problem, God, if Aaron's going to be the high priest. You see, remember I told you the details for when God commanded how this was to take place happened in Exodus 28. We're in Leviticus Chapter 8. Well, something significant happened between Exodus 28 and Leviticus 8. It's Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32 happens while Moses is up on the mountain getting the instructions from God about how to build the tabernacle, about the need for the priests, how you're going to ordain them, how you're going to set it up, how you're going to do these offerings. And guess what was going on at the foot of the mountain? Well, they got tired of waiting on Moses, wondered what had happened, and decided uh, they were getting restless. And so they came to, lo and behold, Aaron. Moses' brother, who was still down there and said, "Hey, what's going on? What's happened to Moses? Uh, we need where are our gods And so they decided what we need to do is we want to we can't see God. we don't know if Moses is coming back, so Aaron, why don't you make us a God? So everybody gave all of their gold and 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 stuff, their earrings, and things that they had gotten from the Egyptians, and Aaron put it in the fire melted it down formed them a calf a golden calf and he said behold israel your gods who brought you out of egypt this this guy this guy god is your choice for our mediator The one who's already royally botched up the worship of you before we even got started. We didn't even have the instructions and he's already leading us astray. And then when Moses asked him about it, guess what Aaron said? Well, the people were complaining and wanting something and I put this gold in the fire and the calf came out. This guy is going to be our mediator? How can a guy who sins like this, who distorts the character of our God through his actions that he represents before other people, how can he possibly be our mediator God? Does his sin not disqualifies? disqualify him? I mean, I'm worried. If this sinner, this like great big sinner is going to represent us, Is He not going to compromise our interaction and relationship? I mean, it sure would be nice to have a mediator that doesn't sin. Wouldn't that be great? Did you ever think about that, God? But there's a problem. I mean, we look around and all of Israel would have known and recognized, oh, you know what? what Aaron was doing, we were also a part of that. All of us are sinners. The only options we really have to choose from are other sinners. Even if Exodus 32 hadn't happened, sinners would have been what we had to choose from. So, how is this going to work? In light of the fact that what we're seeing is Exodus 32, 32 comes in between Exodus 28 and Leviticus 8. How is this going to work when the options we have before us are sinners to be mediators, go-betweens for other sinners? What's the answer? Well, there is a solution. Notice in Leviticus 8 what God's solution is. Is It is God who has this solution. Do you notice as we were reading through this, how often this similar language came up? What God commanded Moses or what Yahweh commanded Moses or as Yahweh commanded Moses or as it was communicated to them through Moses from what Yahweh had had said. This is in uh, verse one. It's in verse 2. As Yahweh spoke, He's the one who says, I didn't make a mistake, Aaron and his sons, bring them. Then over and over, verse 4, verse 5, verse 13 a couple of times, 21, 29, 34, 36, as Yahweh commanded, as Yahweh commanded, as Yahweh commanded, as Yahweh commanded. What is happening here? Is according to God's instructions, it's his solution. He's dealing with the problem. How does he deal with it? Notice in verse 10 and 13. Well, first, let's think about this. This this is a you remember reading back over it, it's kind of a, a weird ceremony and ritual. There's some oils being poured on people. Lots of things are being killed. Blood's being splattered around. They have special clothes on. Blood's being put on people. Ears and thumbs and toes. Why? Wow. Th- th- think about... Some of this stuff is uh, distant from our context. But think about the, the places within our culture where we have significant rituals. One of the ones I think that is most uh, clear for us is to think about a wedding. What happens at a wedding? People get really dressed up. There's certain things that traditionally the bride and the groom wears. A white dress. We have a, a veil. There's a certain ceremony and order by which people go in where you have, you know, at least in American weddings typically, the bride and her bridesmaids are on one side and the groom and and his groomsmen are on the other, and one family sits on one side, and one family sits on the other. And the dad brings the, the girl up and, and uh, gives her to the, the, the groom. And then they go through these vows, and they, they exchange words with one another, promising things. They exchange rings, these round pieces of metal, and they put them on their 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 second finger on their left hand next to the pinky and then they kiss and then we go and eat. Why such ritual? Why all these crazy details and special clothes people have to wear and why you got to put things on a certain finger? Well, it's because things that mean a lot to us, things that are significant have greater ritual associated with it. We're communicating. A big deal is about to happen. This doesn't happen when you go to the grocery store. You don't get in special clothes to go to the grocery store. You don't say certain things when you enter into the food line. When you get to the cash register, you don't go through a set of vows. Miss Cash Register lady at at checkout counter eight, I pledge to you to be honest and true as I come through your aisle. Do you promise to ring me up appropriately? And even if I don't bring my MVP card, will you? No. (laughs) Why? It's a routine. We do it a lot, but there's nothing significant and largely special about that. The greater the deal of what's going on, the more elaborate the rituals are. What do, you, what do you think God's trying to say here as detailed as this is something significant is about to happen he tells us in verse 10 and 13 oil is poured and put on uh onto uh the the items in the tabernacle remember they haven't been used up to this point we've just been describing what's been happening um, and so God has him go through and put oil oil is a sign of uh through the scriptures of uh, uh symbolizing setting things apart, consecrating them uh, for a special use. And so the fact that God is having Moses go through and put oil on all the things of the tabernacle is saying these things are going to be used from now on for a special holy use, specifically for God's purposes. He puts this oil, it tells us, as well, on Aaron, saying something to us God is setting Aaron apart in, in a special way, pouring the oil over his head. It goes on. And there's a, there's a series of offerings. And this is where it's important for us to remember what the offerings were for. Did you notice in verses 14 through uh, 17, they bring um, uh, a bull for a sin offering or a purification offering? Um, And notice what they they do with it. They like we saw before. They take the blood from the the animal and they put it on the Moses puts it on the horns of the altar because remember our sin defiles. Blood is like God's spiritual cleansing detergent that washes away the the sin. And so they're applying it to the altar to make sure it's cleansed because of the sin of 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 the priest and of the people. Uh, it goes through after purification has been established. Then there's a whole burnt offering. It tells us in verse 18 and following. Why? Remember a whole burnt offering, thanksgiving. God's just declared, "I'm purifying you and the and the the tabernacle of your sin." Let's celebrate and give praises to God by giving Him a whole burnt offering. Then what's next is. Uh, an ordination offering. Now we haven't encountered this one before because it doesn't happen all, uh, a whole lot. It just happens with the priests. Um, but the ordination offering was kind of like a peace offering or a fellowship offering. We'll notice that in it, they, they actually eat and, uh, part of the meal before God there in the tabernacle area. So it was kind of a, a, a communicating of fellowship with God. Your sins have been cleansed. We've celebrated and praised God for that. And now God is saying in light of that, I am through this atonement that is occurring. You have access and fellowship with me. Let's eat together. But notice something particular about this ordination offering that was different from the regular peace offering. Look in verse 22 and following. This is where it gets a little different from what we studied before. Before, do you remember hearing any of this? Blood being applied to an ear? Or a thumb? Or a big toe? The ordination offering is wanting to communicate something different to us. What is it? What is different? Where else have we seen blood being applied to the the external appendages of things? The altar both the altar in the whole burnt offering altar in the courtyard, and then later we saw with the altar of incense inside the the holy place. When the blood's applied to those external horns, it's cleansing and and communicating purification of the whole altar. So now God says, in light of this this animal's killed, its blood, I want you to put it now in uh, their culture the right side was seen as being most prominent and uh, and uh, and more uh, more significant and so they apply it to that side on the on the ear on the thumb and on the big toe symbolizing and communicating purification and cleansing if the horns of the altar symbolize cleansing of the whole thing then it's showing us the need for Complete and total purification and cleansing of the priest. Some have also said it may also be related to the need for the priest to remember that the things that, that he, he to, listens to and hears, the things that he does with his hands, where he goes and how he walks with his feet, should be to the glory and honor and purified before God. But notice God is saying, I'm providing this ordination offering as a means of cleansing and purification of the sin that Aaron has committed. And then later, in in case we we don't want to miss it in verses 30, uh, it talks about going back again. Let's get some more oil, a little bit of the blood, and then he applies it again to Aaron, to their garments to His sons, to their garments, the need again to emphasize again, you must be set apart. You must be cleansed. You must be made pure in order to come into God's presence, to be this mediator. And in verses 33 and thir- through 34, uh, um, it tells us this, you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, it will take seven days to ordain you. And then it goes in verse 35, and at the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what Yahweh has charged so that you do not die. For so I have been commanded. Seven days they go through this. It's it's possible. We know that at least the offerings happened for seven straight days. But also what probably also occurred is for the full seven days, the applying of the blood, the pouring of the oil happened over and over again for seven straight days. Seven in the the Hebrew worldview was a a sign of, of wholeness and completeness. The fact that it happens for seven straight days. How is God answering and responding to the questions and the concern of how will a sinful guy mediate and come in between God and sinful people? God saying, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to completely purify him. I'm going to wash him. I'm going to atone for his sins and deal with it. Do you notice how clear that is That what happened? In verse 34, in light of what God has prescribed and said that he's going to do in verse 34, it says that he's doing this to make atonement through God's solution. Atonement will be made for the sin of the priest to make the mediator fit to serve before them uh, and uh, in verse 35, we realize that the, the effect of this, if they go through the full ordination process, the effect will be that they do not die. They will be preserved. They will be able to be in the presence of God and not suffer death. Notice as well the results. Remember in verses 5-9 through nine, what we read about the garments? Who provided those? God. God's the one who told him how to make them. God's the one who said to give them to him. So here Aaron comes and God says, I'm going to give you new clothes, royal clothes. I'm going to cover you up with what I've provided so that you can come into my presence. God's giving them a new wardrobe, covering up their sin in a visible way with His holy set-apart clothes. And then on verse 9, it describes... This turban Aaron was wearing. Uh, Grace, can you go back to that? Do you see this turban thing that he would have been wearing on his head? There was a, a crown, a band, a gold band that went on his forehead. And it said something on it. It said, holy to Yahweh. God is saying, through what I'm doing, I'm providing for and dealing with the sin of this priest so that he can come into my presence. And when I see him, I'm looking at the clothes. I'm seeing the people of Israel that he's bringing forth. He has my name on his forehead. He is holy and set apart to me. I have cleansed him and I've made him pure. And when he comes into my presence, Israel, what does that mean for you? Remember what I said these were? Precious jewels. The people of Israel, as their priest, cleansed by God, comes into their presence before God now, they are precious jewels in and before Him. Wow. This tells us a lot about our God. Now, do we do this anymore? No. Things have changed. Why? Because Jesus, the great high priest, has done something more significant than this. Remember the question that we had before. Man, why do we not have a sinless high priest? Wouldn't that be better? And God says, oh yes, it would. And by the way, I've thought about that. And I will provide that. Listen to what. Hebrews chapter 7 tells us about Jesus, our high priest. Hebrews 7, verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing an office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. Through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them, bringing them before his father, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin and then for those of the people, since He did this once for all when He offered up Himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. What is the result of Jesus as our high priest? The work that He does. If this weak? Struggling sinner high priest had the effect of being able to bring the people of God into God's presence and then be seen as holy, precious jewels before Him. What about Jesus? Notice this in—I well, mean, we just saw there that He has the ability to cleanse and purify us; that He He intercedes for us forever. But listen, listen to this in Revelation chapter 22. Now remember what I said about the high priest. He had this, this crown on his head. There was a band on his forehead that had the name of God written on his forehead. Holy to Yahweh. Listen to this. The Revelation is telling us where everything's going, the end result, the goal, the purpose of what Jesus is doing. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Now listen to this. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Did they see the face of God in the Old Covenant? No. When could the high priest come into the very presence of God? Once a year. Did he see his face? No. But because of what the great high priest Jesus does, all of us, when the imagery of the high priest, now don't think there's going to be a tattoo artist tattooing Yahweh on your forehead. That's not what it's describing. It's imagery to give us an idea and understand what God's doing. You, through the work of your great high priest, will be like what the high priest was before. Able to enter into the very presence of God. But even more superior than that, you will be able to see His face and live. How does that work? You will always need a mediator. But this is how it works. This is how you enter in to the presence of God as a sinner. We need a mediator. We will always have a mediator. But remember, the clothes that God gave the high priest covered up his sin so that he could be holy before God. When faith and hope is placed in Jesus, the Scriptures tell us that Jesus takes our sin... And in Him, we become the righteousness of Christ. It's as if we are wrapped up in Jesus. For the rest of your lives, as you're hoping and trusting in Jesus, when He returns, you will still be wrapped and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And when God looks upon you, you will not enter into His presence based on your good works, on your righteousness, on your goodness, You will enter into His presence. You will see His face because you are clothed with Jesus and you will be clothed with Him for eternity. The precious son and daughter of the King because of what your great high priest has done. You need a mediator. Not a sinful one, but a perfect one. And God has provided the solution for His people. What good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the grace of the gospel. We thank you that you would be the mediator who gives, you, who becomes man, who suffers in our place to bring us into the presence, to your own presence. We praise you and we thank you. Uh, in Christ's name, amen.